0: FaZe World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based miniseries releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on Phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hey guys, this is Faye from Face World Media, and today I have a very special guest, Andrea um, Barica from Old School to join me. Thank you so much for, for being here, Andrea, and thanks for your time. Thank you, Faye. I'm so excited to be here. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so, I definitely want to do a brief intro for those of you who don't know uh, much about Old School. So, Andrea is the founder and CEO, and this platform is something that uh, it's been introduced to me through my content manager, actually, uh, Anna Freeberg. And Old School is very powerful because it is a judgment-free educational platform to learn about sexuality, sex, sexuality, pleasure through articles, online conversations, interactive experiences like the orgasm order form, which I did (laughs) fill out yesterday. Uh, Previously, Andrea co-founded the accounting and tax platform. Um, Andrea, is it indenero.com? Yeah that's right wonderful and you also served as a venture partner and entrepreneur in residence at 500 startups so that is one of the world's most active global seed funds my goodness what a life you're still so young and you've done so much i i it feels that
1: way too to, to hear all that like wow that was a lot of things but uh what's so exciting is the time that we're in and i think uh, so many people are like have multiple careers. I don't. I feel and I feel like the the world of a linear career is 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 gone. And so uh, it's so awesome to be able to meld it all together. And then just the other day, someone was like, "What does accounting software have to do with like sex?" But really, the two things people have the most shame about. I mean, it's money and it's sex. So I feel like it it connects to me. But uh, mm-hmm. at the time, even sometimes it doesn't feel like it connects. But it always, I think, comes together, uh, like backwards. I think Steve Jobs said that you connect the dots backwards, not, not when you're
0: in it. Mm, it it is so true. In retrospect, I've been podcasting since 2014. A lot of people still don't realize that's the case, and you know, YouTubing for about two years. It is really in retrospect I realize how all the knowledge, all the pieces of people, the hundreds of connections are coming together. So I really urge people who are, you know, many of my audience here are content creators and creative entrepreneurs. Many of them started in the year 2020, which was a pretty, pretty rough year for everyone. So a lot of them are like, how come I don't see the progress? Am I even on the right track? Am I making progress um, what, what are your thoughts? Because, Andrea, I feel like that's kind of people will say this is in your DNA. You've been doing this probably since you were like 15 or something.
1: Uh, well, you know, I had none of those dreams when I was 15. I When I was 15, I was uh, leaving. I was actually left home a little early. I did not get along with my parents at the time. And so I had a, I was like, had a lot of conviction. I was going to be a linguist. So I went to school for linguistics. I studied abroad in China. I like did things that put me on a path. And then as soon as I finished college, uh, my freshman roommate called me and she said, hey, you know, I'm starting this accounting software and I think you should completely drop everything, drop your plans to move to China moved to Mountain View and helped me build this tech company. Mm-hmm. And she tried to get me excited. She's like, hey, like we got in a Y Combinator. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Like I had no clue about <laughs> business tech, nothing. I didn't even know about it. Like it was just completely a different world to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that naivete that allowed me to like drop everything and just say, sure, I'll help you. I, I did it because my friend was a woman in tech in 2010, like mm-hmm. that, there were there were very few women entrepreneurs um, that were, you know, doing things. And so that's why I jumped ship. And then I did it again when I got into VC and I did it again for O School. And I think it's all about, you know, really really listening to uh, the universe and like the things it's throwing mm-hmm. at you and just being able to be brave enough to to go, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's jump in. But no, I, I never imagined this path for me. And mm-hmm. at 15, if you had told me I would be building you know technology or online sexual wellness things i mean i'm really building o school for 15 year old me like i was so struggling back then um, and that's i think the beautiful thing too when you look backwards you can't even imagine um, the you know you can't even imagine like the things that you study the things that you killed yourself for like it all it all kind of works out in the end but it also you know you it's so difficult to plan and you know project where you're going to be
0: very true and you know, I definitely want to, I mean, there's so much I want to talk about. I honestly, I know I always say this, I, I'm excited about these conversations, but this one in particular uh, is very meaningful to me, to a lot of us. Um, I can already envision how I want to maybe share this conversation in some of the Facebook groups where I belong to, uh, one of them being like subtle Asian YouTubers. There are a lot of, um, a part of your work, I think we want to really dive right in and be very excited to be here is old school. First of all, what does Oh stand for I want to double check before o
1: stands for whatever people want it to stand for. So mm-hmm. you know, you know, definitely orgasm mm-hmm. is the thing That's that comes to mind, but oh also is like an exclamation, like oh, you know, and I think for us, you know, orgasm is what mm-hmm. is a common way that people see it, but you would be surprised how many people have their own, you know, interpretations of, of that. And there's a lot of exploration and excitement and self-learning. And for me, sexuality mm-hmm. isn't just about sex. It's about agency. It's about figuring out what you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. And since you're such a creative and I so respect and I'm excited to be, you know, talking to a large group, audience of creators is you know if you look at like the chakra energy when you study that creative energy and sexual energy uh they they're really related and so Mm -hmm. it's really about that um for for me helping people figure out what sexuality is for them and we know right now for example you know one percent of all people in the world are asexual like they don't they don't really connect to uh Mm -hmm. you know sexual desire like other folks but it doesn't mean that they don't have joy and, and times in their life when they go, oh, and so I really bring that up because I think some people think it's just about orgasms, but it's so much more than orgasms. It's really about figuring out for yourself you know, what you really want, what makes you feel good and what doesn't make you feel good.
0: Mm-hmm. That is so important because I definitely identify with that. There is so much shame since I think, especially women and in this case, you know, minority women, uh, women of color for our culture, Andrea, kind of collectively referring to as um, Asian Americans. I know that you grew up in the household as well that was uh, on the conservative side. And so so was mine really. I think my parents were more open about it, but you know, there were four or five years of living with my grandparents. It was something that we couldn't talk about. I couldn't, as a six year old, it was wrong for me to look at boys or girls uh, in, in in any way, I was very confused for a long time, frankly. And um, what was what was like for you, kind of, for us to talk about our childhood um, before we dive in? Well, very
1: similar to you, Faye. I I knew at a very young age, at my youngest ages, that it wasn't okay to be naked, to to mm-hmm. explore, uh, to ask questions. The only thing my parents taught me about sex was don't have it until mm-hmm. you're married. It was just this thing that we knew and we could watch violent movies, but we couldn't watch sex scenes. Right. It was like funny because it wasn't um, like a lot of young people. Like they were censored from watching like really violent movies. Like I just remember like I was five and I was watching saving private Ryan, like gore everywhere. My parents were like, this is completely appropriate for a young person. But if there was a kissing scene or a sex scene, it was like, no, you're too young. Mm -hmm. This is bad. It was very clear um, Mm -hmm. to me. And yeah, I grew up with a lot of fear about the topic, a lot of shame. um, And when I speak to other Asian Americans, other Asian people who grew up in Asia, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's just something that a lot of people feel unable to connect to even. Like, I know that for me, it was just so separate from... Mm -hmm what was, you know, I I studied, I really worked on school and my, my academic goals and my career goals because sex was just this thing that felt just not accessible to me. And then when I started to want to learn and start to struggle and start to look through it, the internet did not solve the problem for me. I was Googling things and I was working in software. I was, you know, looking at internet companies and businesses. I was Googling around and I just really wasn't finding things. And that's where O-School came. So now O-School, we build trusted information about mm-hmm. sexuality. And the way that we think about it is, you know, there's there's really great medical resources like Planned Parenthood and WebMD and Healthline. And then there's like porn on yeah. the other mm-hmm. side. And we really just think about like, what's in the middle there? Like there's a lot of questions, a lot of ways of helping people get there. And what exists now, there's a lot of resources that exist, but there aren't a lot of know, really come to, brands that come to mind, like companies that come to mind that you can ask these awkward, hard questions to. And mm-hmm. that's where we focus.
0: Mm. And I, I feel like I almost want to pull up the, the website. I'm looking at it, but for people who are listening, watching now or later, ODOT School, very simple, um, very straightforward. And Andrew, I don't think, you know, what people don't understand is that you're not trying to dance around the subject I, I am very respectful of a lot of TED Talks out there. I've watched many of them about like how to, you know, how to feel sexy. I think the conclusion at the end of those speeches usually is you should love yourself first, which I completely agree. But I think old school is very daring in the sense of diving in. We talked about the orgasm order form. Um, there were, also, I got an email recently to say, you know, you did a survey of asking people, who, you know, in your relationship, who initiates sex first? And I was actually really surprised to see the results, right? Um, and actually, I don't know, I want to dive in. Like, people who responded to that survey, are they mostly men or women? I assume women. We have a
1: really split audience. It's probably some, Some. sometimes when you, uh, you for example, when O-School started, we were centering women, but men just kept showing up. And, and we've really grown to think beyond that. We also have, you know, there's reports that there are, mil- there are more than a million non-binary adults in the U.S. So even thinking about like who we're reaching, we're getting a large swath of of people who are identifying with not just even men and women, like people identifying as non-binary. In that specific group, um, you know, usually we're like, 60 40 women to men but then wow. sometimes we get things where men are more comfortable to answer and so we're learning these things oh school's really curious like we're really a curious team and so we're mm-hmm. always wondering like trying to take out all assumptions you know what will happen if we just ask people curious questions never trying to titillate or arouse but just start the conversation. And even me, you know, when my team is putting out these polls, I, I mm-hmm. answer them myself and I'm like, oh, I've never thought about that. Or, ooh, how do I think about that? And I think it's just an invitation for people to, you know, talk about it in a non, just like more of a science way, a more curious mm-hmm. way, and not this this thing that you have to perform or be a certain way or, you know, not like pressure. Because mm-hmm. for example, with that question of initiation, we find that a lot of men really kind of sometimes want people to initiate To them, Mm -hmm. And that's one of their, you know, their, their, you know, their secret desires that maybe, you know, is not so accepted. Whereas people raised as women are, you know, expected to receive and maybe they want to initiate more. And we're really trying to get at those types of uh, trends or changes or the way that people want to be more open in thinking about sexuality than what we see in movies, what we see in Mm -hmm. porn, um, Mm -hmm. or what we've been told. I know that for me in my Filipino upbringing, it was like, men go get you women, you, you have to wait. And if Mm -hmm. you're too, you know, there was this, a lot of talk about being easy and like, if it's easy to date a woman that it's bad and it's slutty and like all Mm -hmm. of these types of things are fed to me. And these are the things that I think a lot of, that a lot of people they don't investigate sometimes they're like oh this they don't question it they're just like this is how it is and we like to open up that conversation
0: yeah the the opening of the conversation is definitely step 1 and normalizing the conversation around sexuality uh, is something that i've seen and i i feel like i'm always looking for information around this because you know i am approaching my late 30s at this point and i feel like I should know, truly know a lot more about that. And, and really, as a content creator, as a podcaster, I want to open up this conversation, um, especially being an Asian, uh, being an Asian person, uh, I feel like people, I know some of the audience are more drawn, some more drawn towards me because they feel like I understand their upbringing, um, you know, their background. And, and secretly, I also notice whenever I go to YouTube, for instance, like I'm very drawn to other Asian creators' content. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud we're able to do this, but what are some of the, Andrew, what are some of the challenges that you may have witnessed like earlier on versus now? Because now I realize old school, for instance, on Facebook, the group has nearly a million people. I think it's approaching 900,000 at this point. So the conversation is probably changing and shifting all the time. So what, what has that growth and experience been like for you? It's been it's taught us so much, and I had a lot
1: of assumptions and things that I am continuing to overturn. I think mm-hmm. a, a big one is the age of the people who come to O School. Ever like that, one of my one of my frustrations is that people think sex education is for young people and kids, mm-hmm. and that is true. We mm-hmm. need so much more comprehensive sex ed. It's not even funny in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like, very little comprehensive sex ed is happening and that is a big problem. So put that aside. We also need to understand that throughout the entire life cycle of a human being there's a need for learning about sex because mm-hmm. you know when you're young you're 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 learning about your body and how it works and relationships and sexuality and then you know a few years later there can be so many issues throughout a life cycle you have anxiety and depression and what do you do you have a baby. Your partner has a child. Uh oh, you're finding out that you have some queer desires. Oh my gosh, like a fetish has interested you and there's a freak out potentially because what does this mean? And maybe you want to explore something completely new. What if Mm -hmm. you find that you know your draw your your sexuality and it's more fluid through your life? Menopause, erectile Mm -hmm. dysfunction, like there's so many things throughout someone's life that they they need Mm -hmm. to be um, open to. And so our age. At O School, when I was started, um, I was really surprised to see how many people over 60 were coming. Like, I had a 75 year old woman ask us about blowjob mm-hmm. tips. Like, she had been in a marriage that didn't have a lot of sex for a very long mm-hmm. time till I think she was in her 60s. And then she, um, was starting to date for the first time and having so many great sexual experiences shared with old school how fun it was for you know her exploration but was mm-hmm. wondering you know if we had blowjob tips for her and I said this is great. Was teach, always teaching the team, you know. We ended up writing an article about like blowjob positions for people over 60, so like their back doesn't hurt or they're, you know, like, they, like they're like all like that, that. That's something that our community taught me. I did not, you know, our 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 content team, the editorial team, we're learning from our our community all the time, mm-hmm. and it's the longer I do. The work at O School, the fewer assumptions that I feel like we should have, and the more research we're doing. So the reason we do polls more than anything else is because there isn't a lot of great sexual wellness data, period. Even the academic world, the business world, any world. Like We are starting to find that this is such an area that is underserved and mm-hmm. also not well understood. And so i um, having, you know, close to a million people on Facebook has just given us, by the way, it's a very global audience, like over a hundred countries. Wow. Um, we get people from all over the world and the level of questions, the level of curiosity has really showed me a, there's so many things that people don't know and haven't been taught. And there's a lot of basics that would mm-hmm. be surprised. I still have people who don't know where their pee comes out, who, ask us, you know, basic, basic questions from all over the world. So that shows me a lot. And then you've got people who, you know, like I said, there are stereotypes and there's so many people whose sexuality don't match that. And that is a beautiful thing. And so what my hope is with O-School that we continue to normalize the conversation and also can understand and share how our understanding um, is, is developing.
0: Mm. So, I mean, such a wonderful journey. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, like the platform we're on right now, we won't be able to see, for instance, comments from LinkedIn, it just won't get posted here. But I'm Really intrigued for people's reactions as they're stumbling upon stumbling upon this conversation and they kind of explore on their own time. But feel free to you know send us questions and I you know anonymously as well if you're on YouTube you know with your username. It's not like we're going to uh, I'm I'm not going to identify your name if you ever send in questions uh, during the segment. But I think it's so inviting. Um, but Andrea, another area I have just enormous amount of respect for you is I think we both realize that what you're doing here is absolutely not limited to sex and sexuality alone. You are also addressing things. Um, sexting safer sexing um which is a great information for teenagers and perhaps you know parents um
1: and people over 60 i had a lot i mean a lot of 60 year olds were like sexting for the first time and we actually find that sexting rights in people who are older are g- increasing as well or I, i'm I the data that i'm seeing is that people of all ages are sexting a lot of people were lonely in the pandemic and. They're they starting so so yes young people are sexting you know we know that one in about one in four wow you know, people under eighteen are starting to experiment and there's a lot of fear around that and there's a lot of things that we we talk about on our site there's safety precautions of of course that have to mm-hmm. be explained and parents should be aware and also mm-hmm. it's one of the safest forms of sexual expression there is you you, you know mm-hmm. there's no risk of pregnancy or STIs from that there's mm-hmm. other risks digital risks in the digital world that that young people need to be educated about. But it's also a beautiful thing that young people are expressing their sexuality, you Mm -hmm. know, period. They are, they are, they should be, uh, this is a, this is an opinion that I think a lot of people still feel like when you talk about young people and sex, Mm -hmm. it has to be about fear and don't do it. We all, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people who had sex said that's the message is like, if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to get STI, it's going to be bad, right? And Mm -hmm. that, it's important to give education about all the risks, Absolutely. And also it's still important to realize that humans are sexual beings mm-hmm. and we should be empowered to make the sexual choices that are right for us at the stage that we're in. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think really important when we talk about sexting is a great topic. Cause there's a lot of, you know, I think well, like there's all been a lot of like mainstream articles that have come out about, Oh, Oh my gosh. Like, and even, even the, one of the last ones I read focused on you, they could be, uh, potentially uh, in trouble with the law for child Mm -hmm. porn and like all this fear and anxiety around new forms of technology and sexuality. And what I love to do is say the risks cleanly, but as we know with abstinence-only sex education, which right now is one of the more dominant sex educations that are are being offered in the United States, at least, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work to reduce rates of teen pregnancy. It doesn't work. To reduce, um, you know, rates of STIs, we're at an all-time high of STIs yeah. in the United States right now. And so, what I like to, you know, push people on is that we need to have more frank and real conversations about sexuality, yeah. not just spread, you know, this very harsh and very fear-based message that right. if you do this, you're, you know, you're at risk and this is a problem. Those are true, mm-hmm. but leading with sex feels good, pleasure feels good. It's, it's a part of our wellness. It's just like mental health. It's just like emotional health, spiritual health, physical health, sexual health. And I don't know why. I do know why, actually. There's a lot of reasons why. But there's been a lot of forces in the last hundreds, maybe thousands of years that have taken sexual health out of the whole picture of health and wellness. And mm-hmm. I really am excited that right now I am seeing we're putting it back. Into the body, basically. Mental health was lagging. I don't think we we supported mental health as much, and I'm so glad to see that mental health is getting the attention it deserves. And now we can also pay attention to gender identity, sexual health, sexual mm-hmm. wellness. This whole, um, this whole, this whole super important part of our lives.
0: It's. I think it's super smart to approach in a friendly way as opposed to, uh, you know, the fear-based learning and education, which is permeated across different disciplines and industries, right? We turn on the TV, especially living in the U.S., it's, you know, barely any good news left, right? And and everything's very triggering. Um, But at the same time, I think we're aware you are I think you're walking that line. And I, I feel like this part is also really on brand. It's so hard to do when, you know, when we establish a company, people say, oh, this is not really on brand for you anymore. But, right. you know, you said data-driven, something I remember reading from uh, a number of your articles. Uh, Eighty, You know, there are basically 83% of the, I believe, social media platforms as well, as tech platforms overall are built by men. Yet the majority of the social media users are, are women. So there is that discrepancy there of how these technologies and platforms are being used. But at the same time, what I feel about what Old School is doing ultimately is kind of putting that power, that control back into uh, women's hands or you know, people of, of color, people who are minorities um, too, because when I say that, I don't just mean initiating sex, but also there's that piece of understanding yourself, even providing feedback. I feel like I would love to hear you talk about the feedback portion because that part is really hard. At least from my, you know, from my experience talking to my female friends, I don't think I've ever heard anybody not cr- critiquing, but you know, we talk about pleasure here and what works for you. But I don't think. Women are naturally very open about that at all. And perhaps most men are not very um, very accepting in terms of feedback, right? seen as it's almost as a shame or seen as a sign of weakness. And like, what do you think about feedback and communication when it comes to sex and pleasure? It's so challenging for people because, you know, to be, you know, let's just look at stereotypes. like,
1: to be a woman and to be a sexy woman, you see all Mm -hmm. the way that Victoria's Secret's in the news now and like all these different brands in the news. And there's all these pressures to perform Mm -hmm. a certain way. So for women, it's to be sexy, to be desirable, to, you know, all of these pressures there. And then for men, it's, also, there's also a lot of pressures, like to be a man, you have to have a lot of partners. There's pressures on who should have the more partners. Definitely, you know, there's all these pressures. And so when you give feedback, when you have communication, it, people it's very sensitive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what we find is most people that we speak to that come to us, we have data too as well across the board. And we do see gender differences mm-hmm. on comfort level sharing desires. With partners. And it's, you know, men generally, gen, you know, generally with the data that we've seen, we've recently done some market, you know, some research and looked at our data, they're a little bit more, you know, willing and confident to say, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. And definitely mm-hmm. for women, it's lower. So there's just a little more shame. Also, just a lack of education. We don't have clitoris education as much. And so mm-hmm. we know the data, straight women are having the fewest orgasms of any other group. So like yeah. straight men, gay women, gay men, bisexual women, you know, like, mm-hmm. and actually bisexual women, it's closer to straight women. So sleeping, it's not, I'm not trying to throw anyone on the bus here. It's just mm-hmm. an educate. It's a, it's a big education gap. And also there's gendered stereotypes, expectations. Society is really kind of given us a lot of messages. And in this way, for queer people, there's actually an advantage because there's not representation. That's a bad thing. Not having queer representation is not great. But when it comes to sexuality, there's a little bit less of a script that's fed to you. Because if you're a straight woman and a straight man, you watch all these movies, you're kind of fed like, this is how sex works. And we talk to straight women and straight men, and they have a very set they have some expectations for how sex should go. And if you've watched any movie, what is it like, Faye? It's like mm-hmm. effortless and like kissing and then they fall into a bed. And like everyone's having an orgasm at the same time <laughs> and it takes three minutes and then it's like over, right? Like think mm-hmm. about every movie. It's not even porn, just, just any movie. Um, And when it doesn't fit that, when it doesn't happen like that, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, Oh my god! Am I bad? Am I not good at sex? All of this, all these feelings come up for people. And mm-hmm. so, what we hope is that people go at their own pace, learn what feels good to them. I mean, how I, it's true that when I ask, sometimes when I ask women, "What do you like in bed? What feels good in bed?" Yeah, they don't know. They're yeah, like, they "I know I'm know. supposed to. Do, I'm. I know I'm supposed to do this, this, and this." And mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yes, that's great." <laughs> What do you like? What are you, What brings you joy? Um, I once led a workshop and I called it making your delight list. I, I mm-hmm. gave them assignments to go home and make lists, mm-hmm. not just of sexual things, but mm-hmm. anything that brought them a lot of bodily, physical joy. So mm-hmm. I always give the example of getting my hair blow dried. I love getting my hair blow dried. That's a very positive, very like yeah. sensual experience for me. And I will tell my partners that I like that. And I try to start with non-sexual things because as soon as you get into sexual things, there's all these, you know, ah, like I I don't feel comfortable asking for that. I don't, I'm not ready for that. And so my advice to anyone who's on that journey is start to just pay attention to what feels good. And masturbation is a really Mm -hmm. relevant topic. And we also find that comfort level talking about masturbation is way lower in women Mm -hmm. than men. And this Mm -hmm. is an important tool to learn what you like. And so some people are ready to be on a masturbation journey. Some people are not. And Mm -hmm. so for those people, that's why I start with pick, pick things that delight your body and start there. And then eventually maybe start adding things that are physical, sensual, sexual from there.
0: Mm-hmm. And with the moment you said uh, when you had a, that workshop, I was thinking, wow, if I were to be at that workshop, I probably have to look over to whoever's next to me is like, what, what did you put on your list? Can I copy some of that? It's, it's something that is so uh, unintuitive uh, to me. I'm just being very honest. I think Uh, You know, recently worked with Dr. B.J. Miller on um, basically sex, sexuality. There's a webinar and people, there were 150 people really engaged in that conversation. And with him admitting that it's a really difficult and really challenging topic and his audience are primarily caregivers, as well as people who um, have certain type of illness, different severity. But both groups are being impacted, caregivers not having the energy or, or feeling like they should sure. not feel sexy. It is not their role anymore. Their role is to Absolutely. be
1: a Having children affects a lot of people this way. Not all people. Some people feel more sexual as mothers, mm-hmm. but some people feel like this weight of the caregiver role. And um, of course, like there's energy issues and stress and then anxiety mm-hmm. and depression. There's so much there. I'll also share that, you know, this is not just, Women, I actually had the opportunity to um be on T-Pain the rappers show and I had him fill out a version of the orgasm order form Faye, which you mentioned. Yeah. And there was a question of like, you know, what things make you feel the best? There's some uh, around that lines. And and he was like, "Wow." You know, he's like, "I have had sex with a lot of people." And he's like, "No <laughs> yeah. one's ever asked me this." And yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's so great." You know, that's you know <laughs> Think about like, what's the recipe for your ideal experience? And Mm -hmm. so even a rapper sometimes can learn. And, you know, like, I think there's a lot of stereotypes about that, but I think caregivers are a great example of people where Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people split themselves and they're like, Mm -hmm. this is my public self. This is my public identity. I am a mother I am a professional. I am a CEO. Mm -hmm. I am, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a, a. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm all these things. And when you try to integrate sexuality in there, it can really challenge people because maybe there are internal judgments that we have. You know, like it was really difficult for me to. You know, integrate. I had a public facing, you kind of said my in my bio, like I was I was a in venture capital, I had co-founded accounting software. And when I started to build O school, a lot of people were like, You gotta be careful with your brand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, You're gonna, you're gonna really mess up, like kind of just warning me that as soon as you go into sexuality, society is gonna draw a box around you and put you in another category of person. And that's one of the big reasons why I remain, you know, really, really outspoken about business and data and science because it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not just about, like, I think people think sexuality means you have to be sexy, and that's mm-hmm. actually not true at all. It's about mm-hmm. connection and learning and awareness and deep, deep work, unlearning judgments that mm-hmm. we may have, unlearning shame. And pain and trauma. Like we haven't gotten into trauma. Like so many people in this country have had, you know, really traumatic experiences and healing. This is going to take a lot of that. So hello. I I see we have guests in, uh, coming in. Oh, everybody. Let me know if you have any questions. We'd love, love any audience questions. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, Faye, I love that you brought up the caregivers because what I really wish for everybody, yeah. let's talk about the flip side. A lot of people feel pressure to be sexy and mm-hmm. sexual. And what I really like to tell those people is old school stands for them too, because a lot of people don't really care about mm-hmm. sex. Like it's not that important to them. It's right. like exercise or food. Some people are foodies. <clears throat> And some people are gym rats. If they love the gym, some people love food and some people love sex. And I Mm -hmm. wish that they were just seen as that. Like some people are really into sex and some people just aren't really Mm -hmm. into sex. And that's okay. And I feel like in the society we have today, we don't give people the room to be either. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's either we push people to be super sexy or we punish people for being sexy. But what Mm -hmm. I want to see is a world where you don't have to, care about being sexy or have sex or any of those things, but you should be educated in a way so that you know what the options are. Because I also think that mm-hmm. a lot of people who would not, a lot of women, we have done experiments and studies, they don't prioritize sex in their life. They have a mm-hmm. lot of like, they're just, they're like, it's like not for them or they don't like it or they're, mm-hmm. they, they have pain or all these things. But When you work with them, some of them find that they love sex. Some of them, that's just part of who they are. They don't, they don't care. But the the issue is when you don't give, especially we just, we just heard straight women are having the fewest orgasms. They may not be aware of how to feel good. If we Mm -hmm. change that, what would we have? That's, that's a question that I'm really trying to answer through our work with O-School.
0: Again, it's a very it's a very daring area. And for people who are watching this, I know that you know we we've talked about uh, straight sex, but this platform is very much open to people of any sexual orientations. And I I'm lucky enough to have a lot of my friends who are you know um, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. You know, I also I feel like we live in the world right now. It's an opportunity to to learn so much more. Um, you know, again, I'm, you know, I was born in the early eighties in, in like looking back, I realized what would my life be? What would actually, how would that impact my, uh, maybe sexual orientation is not exactly the right label, but I think I would be exploring a lot more. I think I would be probably more open to it. You know, what is it? Why, for example, like I, I grew up, I just loved wearing a. Obo- Boys close. I'm actually surprised that I grew up to be attracted to men. I'm actually, frankly, a little surprised. But for the longest (laughs) time, I was really not comfortable. I didn't like anything that was identifying myself as a woman. Like, I found dresses to be really gross. I did not like, I didn't have long hair at all until I was 16. Um, and so I basically looked like a little boy. I remember being in first grade and girls would not let me go into the girls' bathroom. I remember having to hold my pee and just be miserable I and to run home. No. So home. Yes, all that actually happened, which I've never shared it anywhere. But, uh, I'm, I'm just glad we're kind of in the world where a lot of people are still struggling, but you create this safe environment for people to explore. But so, so Andrew, I guess my question long-winded is like, where do you see old school go next? Like what are are there particular groups of people or questions you're, you're like, so eager to answer, to address for them? Yeah.
1: Queerness is the future. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you just see it, gender queerness. I feel the same way as you on gender. Like I knew about, you know, queerness. I, you know, I grew up in a place where it was not okay to be gay, but you still, you knew there were people who were um, gay, bisexual, and now young people, one third of Gen Z mm-hmm. knows someone who uses, you know, they, them, non-gender conforming pronouns. Like that is huge. And then you see the number of people kind of trying to think beyond male, female. It's really, it's, it's, it's a lot of feelings. People a lot of feelings about it, but mm-hmm. it's also showing that people are starting to really think beyond that. And I think that's in general a freeing thing. I think it's challenging a lot of people, but it's a freeing thing. It's a liberating thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, O school, we've always, I'm, a, I'm queer. I've, I came out like in the middle of my life in uh, only five years ago, really. Um, uh, mm-hmm. maybe five, six years ago. I was in the closet for most mm-hmm. of my life. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I married young to please my, my parents. Um, and mm-hmm. that, experience really connects me to people who are are in different stages of their journey. We're not all ready to be like out and proud. And now, you know, I love helping people who are just exploring too. You know, Faye, I love that you shared that because many people, you know, have experiences growing up that you just stuff inside. I did. I know that Mm -hmm. I did. Uh, I wanted to be a good Filipino daughter to my parents. And for a lot of my youth, that meant covering up, you know, my very early attraction to women. I have a funny story where I went to Catholic school at, at kindergarten and I ended up like getting in trouble with the nuns. Cause like I would not leave the eighth grade girls alone. I was five years old and it was innocent and like fun. And I was very curious why they couldn't like, you know, wear their bathing suits. Cause I went to a very conservative Catholic school and like little five year old me was, you know, running around very curious about that. And, that mm-hmm. energy that I I, I really want O-School to be part of making it okay for people to express whatever is right for them. Mm-hmm. And that means globally. So I have a very global aspiration for O-School. We already reach people all over the world, but, you know, that is for me a guiding light. And then in terms mm-hmm. of gender, sexual orientation, that's the future that's the future that I see. I don't bet. If I'm a betting person, I speak to investors about this. If I'm a betting person today, are you, you know, would you bet that people are going to be more, you know, sexually mm-hmm. open or less? Are you gonna bet that people are going to explore more and explore mm-hmm. their sexual orientation more or less? Um, social media has been a huge driver. There's been lots of Bullying and negative things, but there have also been an unprecedented amount of representation on social media, TikTok, you know, Instagram. This is arguably given queer representation globally. So sometimes people mm-hmm. think, oh, that's just a Western thing. It's not true. Like we now see people, you know, if I had seen uh, artists like Janelle Monet and mm-hmm. I was 15, it would have changed my life. like I would have been like, mm-hmm. I'm that. like I like that and I'm like that. but you know, I grew mm-hmm. up also before that and now I see mm-hmm. O school being something that people can google and find and not find the things that I find. And what I'm hoping is that even just finding a couple affirming resources can be life-changing for a mm-hmm. young person. Um, and you know, saying at this you know I, I think it essentially what we're all trying to do, is make it okay <laughs> to be whatever you're going to be.
0: For going sure. One mm-hmm. one area, Andrew, I'm really excited about uh, old school. And uh, I just have a feeling, I was really drawn towards uh, a section where uh, you invited people with disabilities. I know disability is this whole, there's a whole spectrum, right? We're not uh, addressing one particular disability but I saw content uh, that you've posted on YouTube, there's content on your website. I was particularly touched because not only that I'm currently working on a project called Enabled Disabled, interviewing people, currently focused on a lot of physical disabilities, but we know that there are mental disabilities you wanna go after too, is that we are hearing over and over again that people with disabilities are often seen as asexual period, uh, without being questioned for women in particular, Um, Years ago, doctor didn't offer them pap smear because just assuming they're not sexually active and it still is the case today. And that is such a barrier, especially when it comes to when I come to realize that we are going through life at some point in our lives. We're all going to experience one form or another type of disability, right? right, Mm -hmm. right. age, uh, uh, illness. And so, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: I've had the pleasure of learning from many educators who work on the intersections of disability and sexuality and identity. Um, I worked with one, uh, Eva Sweeney, amazing educator, um, has educated with O School before and has taught me a lot about uh, how to think about consent. For example, um, Eva is a nonverbal sex educator and gave, you know, education on consent, which was super important. Because we think of, you know, like you said, it's something that even verbal people struggle with giving verbal consent. And so we have so much to learn from people who are in bodies that are not in the like, you know, able-bodied view of what, like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. humans come in all varieties of bodies and they can be sexual bodies, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. able-bodied bodies can be asexual and you know, differently abled and disabled bodies can definitely be sexual and they should be given the agency, education, and access to express that. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, I think you're right. Like, I think people don't think, they don't realize like, we're all gonna go through it. And I think even older people arguably struggle with this. Like they, you know, people assume like the older you get, the you know, that you're, you're not going to be as sexual. And that's true for a lot of people but it's right. not true for everybody, um, you know? And it's it's so important. Like we need to, for example, extend sexual health education to older communities because they don't use condoms as much. They're, you know, the STI rates um, are are a little bit of an issue in these communities. And I think part of it is we as a society don't want to think about our grandmothers and grandfathers and like, you know, um, in society as super sexual beings still Mm -hmm. and the same with people with different abilities. And the truth is that that is not the case. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. absolutely, um, can learn a lot too Mm -hmm. from these folks. People with sexual dysfunction are a massive group of people and Mm -hmm. I have learned a lot from these folks too. Sex doesn't have to be orgasm focused. Mm-hmm. Sex doesn't have to be an act focused. Like I've learned from people whose expression of sexuality are completely, you know, organic and and fits the people in the situation. Meaning mm-hmm. there doesn't have to be a penis and a vagina. There doesn't have right. to be intercourse. Doesn't even mm-hmm. have to be touched sometimes. Some people are having virtual sex, especially with the pandemic, the expression of sexuality. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, masturbation is a type of sex, mutual masturbation is a type of sex. There's so many types of ways to express ourselves sexually Mm -hmm. that I have been inspired and learned from the disability community.
0: Mm. So beautifully said. Um, It's crazy because even though I know I've done uh, these interviews so focused on business a lot of times, growing one's business, I realize it's been you know, 45 minutes, we haven't even gotten there. So if I may just pivot a little bit, because I want to promise Andrea, I let her go at least a few minutes before uh, the uh, two o'clock Eastern time is, um, you sound to me like what people don't realize sometimes is you are such a, you are a content creator. You're such a curator to decide what goes on the website to focus on what's actually useful and engaging at the same time. As an entrepreneur, so this is kind of the little mini entrepreneur segment means I'll definitely repurpose and create a little soundbite or audiograms from this is, what are some of the lessons learned as an entrepreneur? What are some of the advice that you can give to people uh, to go about their journey of creating something that's meaningful and engaging?
1: Absolutely. I'm a customer acquisition, uh, that's Uh where I'm obsessed because... Uh you know, sexual wellness as an industry from a business perspective is going to be massive, but the largest issue pressing personal care, sexual Mm -hmm. wellness is the challenges with customer acquisition. Some of it is structural. You can't make a vibrator ad on Facebook, period, full stop. There's Mm -hmm. challenges like that. There's challenges that are shame-based you know, and it's just like fintech. You would not share a bankruptcy article, no matter how good the article is on bankruptcy. Right. Same with sexual dysfunction or any of the issues that people have pain. They don't want to share. It doesn't matter how good O-School's content is. At the end of the day, there are forces that will prevent organic sharing and all of that. And so that's been a massive focus for, for me. And what I love helping people with is really meeting their consumers where they are mm-hmm. and going from first principles, because if I take playbooks from other industries, they just don't work for sexual wellness. Like it does not matter how Mm -hmm. awesome the playbook was. You have to invent one for things Mm -hmm. that we, we, we really don't have a robust field. And so my advice for entrepreneurs is definitely first principles, meeting customers where they are. I think more than ever today, people, especially, you know, younger audiences, Gen Z, they really They don't want, like, a lot of people don't want traditional marketing the way, you know, so giving really useful content. We learn from Google search, Google trends. Um, Mm -hmm. We really focus on what people are asking. It it seems so basic, but I think a lot of people just miss those very fundamental things about content and creating content for people. Mm -hmm. And that's like really being honest about. Mm -hmm. The people who are coming to you, for example, a lot of people, I think brand marketing, you're creating this like, you know, aspirational brand and in sexuality, there's a lot, there's a lot of challenges with that because if you build the Victoria's secret, for example, mm. right, it alienates a lot of people mm-hmm. and, what we're trying to, like, I think there have been challenges with O School. We are so broad. We serve a lot of different audiences and that can be really bad. Like a lot of people are like, mm-hmm. focus, focus, focus. But when you focus in sexual wellness, that for us was a, a really important business decision not to, because if we focus, for example, on straight people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't fit what we want to be long-term. And today it's so important that your DNA reflects that. And so Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the solution for us has been really being clear about how we segment, how we build our, 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 our customer acquisition funnels, how we think about growing the business, being a top funnel brand, meaning mm-hmm. we're not focusing on one specific group and trying to serve all their needs. Because mm-hmm. that in a world where a lot of things are catered to the mainstream, a lot of mm-hmm. things are catered to heterosexual people, to you know certain groups... Uh, and we, I won't say that we've only focused on on you know people in like you know uh, who who are minorities. Even like it's mm-hmm. like sexuality is so is such a there's so much that mm-hmm. hasn't been built that mm-hmm. especially not just sex tech, but any anything where you're going into a space where there's the consumer problem is so complex um, mm-hmm. that has been for us how we've focused our our time, especially this year, is really figuring out the segment of the problem. And for for O-School, we solve an information asymmetry problem on the internet. There is not a lot out there when you search and we want to help solve that information asymmetry. Two, Mm -hmm. companies, Mm -hmm. consumer people don't have data and information about sex. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we are trying to create that. And then three, we have to think beyond... Male, like we have to think beyond gender, age, and relationship status to target on marketing. Like this is so common.
0: Oh no. Oh no, what happened to Andrea? Oh, I hope she will come back, guys. <laughs> She's back. She's back. Yay. Sorry. We're we, going to we get we, cut off by my uh thing? Just literally two seconds ago, um, not to, when you said not to focus on just a certain group, Literally, you came right back within five seconds. So amazing. Uh, Apologies
1: for my internet. I don't know what's going on. But um, yeah, I just think people focus on, you know, age, which of course, that's how even the ad platforms, when you think about things, the targeting has to, we have to think about people beyond millennial women do this and, you know, millennial men and do that. And that's, those monoliths are really tough to uh, target.
0: I so appreciate you saying that because a lot of people these days, when I hear the the word niche, like niche down, I get it. For, you know, for most people trying to make a splash, they have to find something that they're really good at. They have to look at the intersections. But um, I agree. I feel like for old school, uh, it sounds like old school, but for old school, it, it is about everyone. And maybe like we just said, for this conversation to be more fluid, for people to be more exploratory, it is to know that what what people are liking. Frankly, I I am personally interested in, in reading what uh, people of other sexual orientations in are enjoying. Maybe they're able to explore so much more than you know what heterosexual relationships even know about, right? Like I, I definitely I would say personally through my friends, I agree with you that I. It sounds like heterosexual couples seem to have a lot less fun, um, you know, a, a lot less in sync. But then I, I realized it makes a lot of sense. Of men often don't know what what brings pleasure what brings pleasure for women because it just the not, I just, just don't mean the genitals, but just like your bodies or your minds are constructed so differently. And, um, the, the two parties are not always open to listening and receiving feedback. So there are a lot of conflicts as opposed to, uh, yeah. So, uh, it, it, it's so fascinating. Thank you so much, Andrea. What a, what a fascinating conversation.
1: Thank you, Faye. I appreciate, uh, all that you shared too. And I love, I think creators are, are hugely, in, you know, adding to this movement um, all over, uh, all over. I see more and more people who are looking to explore mm-hmm. gender, identity, sexuality, and it should be, it's a business issue. Like if you yeah. want to reach consumers, you have to un- understand them. And if you don't understand how sexual orientations and gender plays out and affects people in their life, you're missing out on a big piece of the puzzle. And so I'm really excited to see more business people learn and start to really explore this area.
0: Yeah, that would be very that would be very exciting. Um Ah, uh, my last question would be, are you currently how, how are you splitting your time? You have so many projects going on? Are you primarily focused on old school? Yeah, or old school
1: old schools my main um, my main love right now, and we're we're building, expanding again. we're getting really into data and market research and uh, different things. I think for the first few years of the business, we really focused on the, the you know building the 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 content. and um, mm-hmm. now we're really starting to expand off of that. And so that's mm-hmm. been really awesome, really fun.
0: Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. And uh, I have uh, links in the descript- description below, whether you're on YouTube, LinkedIn, everywhere else. And um, I would be creating definitely some some audiograms, videograms from this. I absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, thank you again so much, Andrew. I'm going to bring us offline. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by FaceWorld World LLC. Our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses we offer website development video production marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories level up and create a profitable brand face world podcast team our chief editor and producer herman ceballos associate producer adam leffert social media and content manager rose de leon transcript editor alina Ahmidova, and lastly myself, the creator and host of Phase World. Thank you so much for listening.